So how were your travels, Maggie? Do you know, it was a really interesting time in Berlin. Um, first of all, Joel's show was magnificent. Um, it was a retrospective of vintage photos. And the curator who, who designed the show really, really did an amazing job. The museum is, is gorgeous. And everybody's so friendly, so generous, so... I, you know, it's, maybe this is a very prejudiced thing to say, but, you know, in this day and age, maybe it's good that we put all our prejudices out on the table. I grew up, uh, I was born at the end of World War II, and the first five years of my life, I saw the bombed out buildings, we had rationing, and my parents and everybody talking on the street, it was all about the Jerry's, it was all about the Nazis, it was, you know, the Krauts, it was nothing but bad, bad stuff about Germany, for good reason, right? Yeah. And you go to that country now, I'm actually going to, to, to write about this in the blog because I think it's actually very hopeful. When I go to Germany now, and I've been several times in the last few years, two things happen that I find very interesting. One is that when I go past wooded areas, I immediately in my mind's eye see German soldiers in the woods and American and English soldiers fleeing. But my experience of Germany today and, and my experience of German people is sweetness and light, really. Kindness, a kind of gentleness, um, a true generosity of spirit. And you know that these people are descended from the people who agreed with sending Jews to, to the ovens. And it's been, what, two, three generations since World War II? And what you see is proof that a nation can evolve beyond its horrendous history. Not that there aren't neo-Nazis, of course. And uh, just like in America, there is the alt-right, as there is everywhere. But in the larger picture... The thing that I choose to concentrate on is that if a country that had such a horrendous moment in history in terms of karma can have recovered itself and made good in some way, then there's really hope for America. Because let's face it, we see that it only takes one person to appeal to our worst nature for us to respond en masse. So so there was that larger experience for me of being in Germany. And then there was the, the more personal, contemporary experience of witnessing my husband be the rock star of photography. Two million people came to wow. his... To, sorry, 2,000. 2,000. <laughs> it wasn't that good. It um, felt like two million, yeah, it, but it was It sure did. <laughs> 2,000 people came to his opening. Unbelievable. Mm. You know, I think about, um, I did an interview with Joel several years ago where he talked about walking the streets during World War II with his father, who was, I think, like a civic, um, he, he just was walking around protecting the neighborhood from the potential of bombing from the Nazis. And so here's this 
this Jewish kid who grew up in the Bronx being celebrated in Berlin. I know. I mean, when when I wrote to the family that we were going to celebrate Joel's 80th birthday in Berlin, Sasha, his son, wrote back, oh, yeah, that makes sense, having, having the Jews <laughs> celebrate his birthday in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing city, I mean, and, and it's, it's interesting on many levels. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that the wall came down, you know, really. Right, um, right, and yet, or it's a ge- geographically, it's a very spread out city. It's low. It there aren't tall buildings. It's very spread out, but the atmosphere everywhere you go that we experienced is very, very creative. It's a very creative city, and why is it a creative city? Partly, in big part, because there isn't a lot of money there. Mm-hmm. So artists can afford to be there. Mm-hmm. In in fact, you know, the people from the museum and galleries were talking about this, that everybody loves art in Berlin, but nobody can afford to buy it. Oh, <laughs> but at least they can afford to make it. But they can make it. And that is so important. We can, you know, you can always, you know, find buyers somewhere else, you know. But uh, but it strikes me as interesting because, of course, that, that's been the downfall, really, of Manhattan and now Brooklyn, is that artists can't afford to live there. That's the one reassuring thing, is that artists will find a way, Absolutely. whatever it is that they need Absolutely. to do. We're like water. We will find the cracks and, right. you know, work our way through. And I find that very inspiring. In fact, we, we sat at a in a little cafe for lunch on our, I think, second to last day. And uh, a young couple, they were friends, actually, they weren't a couple. She was American and he was D- Danish, sat at the table next to us, but the tables were adjoined. And so we said hello and they looked at our lunch and decided to order the same. And we got talking and they were just these two young artists who, they were just full of making art. They were so hopeful and so confident. And when we spoke to them about, I asked them, you know, how do you feel about where the world is right now? And they both said, well, look, we, we, we choose not to read the news very much. We know that if there's something we need to know, we will be informed. Um, but we see, the, we see the world as a hopeful place. And that's what we're going with. I love the story of these two artists in a cafe in Berlin choosing to be hopeful. Yes. Because that's actually what I wanted to talk with you about today was two things. One is what we might be able to see in a winter garden that can help us understand that there is hope, but we we need this time of everything being asleep in a way. Yes. And the other is this idea of choosing hope because it does at this moment feel like a choice, feels like something that we must actively embrace rather than just feel in our normal day to day. I agree. I absolutely agree. That's an interesting question. What can we see in the winter garden that gives us hope? Um, 
I, I'll send you a poem later, unless I can find it on my desktop in a minute. It's a poem that I, that I really love. Um, so give me just a second. I know that I have it on a sticky here somewhere. Absolutely. Take your yeah. time. Oh, here we go. It's by um, Neruda. I sat in the garden spattered by the great drops of winter. And it seemed to me impossible that beneath all that sadness, that crumbled solitude, the roots were still at work with no one to encourage them. You just gave me goosebumps. Isn't that beautiful? It is. And that expresses a piece of this, that the world is at work regardless of the terrible things we as humans do to each other. There is this world at work renewing itself. That's right. Doing the work without anyone to, to encourage, encourage it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's, it is all the little things that count. You know, we don't have to do the great big things. I mean, lighting a candle for hope, it puts, I believe, puts good energy into the world, you know. Um, doing your small piece each day to be of service. What I'm finding, Maggie, which really surprised me this fall, and it's over this whole year, is that I am a, you've known me for a long time now, I'm, I'm a kind of dispositionally optimistic person. You sure are. But this has been the, I find that that's been sapped in me. Part of it, I think, is just exhaustion on so many different levels. But in ways, that's why I was thinking about the winter and the garden. Because even this morning, as I sat in the backyard with my tea, the crows were going crazy. I'll send you an audio of this argument that they were having. And... Like that Neruda poem, I could feel that there's repair and regeneration going on without me being able to witness it. And that was helpful to me. It was just a sense of, also as the as tea and the garden always give me, I am this tiny piece in a web that's so big. Um, but I found... Just looking at the snow, thinking, all right, this is a blanket that allows everything to rest. Yes. And that's what we're not given in this incredibly intense cycle of terrible things being thrown at us over and over and over again. And I thought, maybe it's not a bad thing to pull the covers over my head for a little while. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think you have to pull the covers over your head. I think you have to look at your garden more and sign off from a lot of what's going on out there. I mean, we obviously can't all rest at the same moment, but then that wouldn't happen anyway. Right. But if we if we don't take personal rest, then first of all, we're too exhausted to have hope. And we're also too exhausted to make change. So, yeah, I think it, it's time for you to sign off from that and, and, and pleasure yourself with the things that, that give you joy. 
Um, and then, you know, you, you'll come back around because that is your essential nature, Julie. And I do think that a part of um, probably why you felt so um, exhausted in terms of hope is partly age too. And I think for all of us who are certainly over 50, um, we didn't, and who are, came, come from liberal backgrounds and have fought our own fights here and there, we didn't expect this to happen no. at this point in our lives. And because we have less life left to us than we had up to now, that can also diminish the feeling of hope um, because we feel that we, we don't have that much time to change things. But it's not all up to us, you know. It, it is up to the younger ones. And, and let's be grateful that we did experience that period of peace and being in that liberal enclave because that, that was real. That, that wasn't false. It was, it was within a bubble, and that bubble has burst, but, but it still exists. It's just now exposed to the entire world, which is where it needs to be. Yes. And Liberal, liberalism does no good inside of a bubble. And thinking back to what you just said about Berlin, here's a city that witnessed the worst of and created the worst of the 20th century. Absolutely. It was at the heart of this evil rottenness. And now it's bursting with creativity and yeah. new hope for the future, for a future yeah. that is not just for the few. No, exactly. And, and, the, and, and what's remarkable in how short a time Germany has re redeemed itself is that you don't sense uh, any shame being carried by this generation. You know, that, that, I suppose that's what redemption does. It washes away the shame um, because you think of what, what people must have carried after the war, do you know? And that... You know, I don't know enough about the German education system, but what I have heard is that there hasn't been a kind of whitewashing of the past. No. That it was something that had to be reckoned with in order for this change to happen. And I think about it, you know, in the middle of this conversation last night, my son said, really what we're wrestling with here is the the residue of slavery that we've never dealt with. Exactly. And so perhaps if we can have a public conversation here, it's beginning about this central evil in our own experience. Yes. Um, yes. I, th I think that this period is full of hope in that this is a necessary stage in the evolution of America. It had skipped, it had tried to skip this stage. And you cannot evolve when you skip a step. And maybe that's where we can look back at the garden, because 
I know for me, gardening has taught me so well that if you skip a step, you will suffer later. You if, will pay. If you don't put that compost in <laughs> at the beginning, everything from there on is much yep. more of a challenge. So It's true. So tell me what your garden looks like right now when you look out the window. I wish you could have seen it this morning. It was... It was a field of diamonds. We had a very, very hard frost and it gathered on everything. Or I don't know if you know the Gaura plant, which in summer, uh, these, you know, fine, thin, ruby red stems decorated with little white flowers like butterflies and they just sort of dance all summer. Now those blood red stems have turned you know, sort of a beige, dried-up colour for the winter. But there's hundreds and thousands of them, and they were all encased in frost. As was, I mean, everything, the, the lavender, everything was encased in frost. And then the sun came out, and for about half an hour, although there was sun, the temperature wasn't warm enough to thaw everything. And so this brilliant light hit the frost. And, I mean, it just took our breath away. Everything was tinkling and sparkling. And, you know, so what, what could look like a dead winter garden in that moment was uh, scintillating. I can see it from your description. Yeah. It just sounds magical. I tried to take some photographs, but, you know, that's very hard light to deal with gratefully Joel was out there with his camera so I'll see if I can steal some photographs from him <laughs> wonderful yeah. and that I think gets at really the heart of what we've been talking about which is it's there we just have to keep our eyes open and know yes. that it will happen it might not happen in the time that we want it to that's the thing that's very true but it will happen so patience, which is not one of my great gifts, is something to keep remembering to, to cultivate somehow. Yeah, yeah. Patience. We're in a moment where we have to have a lot of patience. You know, we're in a long process right now, but I do see light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Yeah. That helps me so much. Talking Good to Julie. you always helps me, Maggie. It's me such a too. gift. Who yeah. ne we, we, we never know what we're going to discover, do we, when we start talking? No, and uh, but I always know that I'll, I always know what I'm going to feel at the end, which is, which is this sense of hope and possibility. Yeah, me too. Ah, oh, all right. Well, enjoy. I hope there are more crystalline mornings like the one you just had. Me too. I'll send you a photo if we've got I a good one. I would love that. And give Joel okay. my love. And um, I will. so, so dear to talk to you today. Thank you, Maggie. Yeah, you too, sweetie. Love I love you. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.